Rethink Retail, the evolution of retail in today's connected world. Welcome to the Rethink Retail Show, your source for the most recent trends and innovations in commerce. Join host Julia Raymond as she explores the most recent trends and innovations in commerce. This episode of Rethink Retail sponsored by Valtech, where experiences are engineered. Hi, everyone. Today, we're kicking off another episode of Rethink Retail with my guest, Charlie Chenaratsapan. Charlie is most known for building, you may have heard of it, Charming Charlie. And he built Charming Charlie to 5,000 employees, 350 stores globally, and a whopping $500 million in revenue. Charlie recently launched Boosted Commerce, a leading consumer products platform that acquires, launches, and grows third-party sellers on both Amazon and Shopify. We'll get into that a little bit more. Charlie, welcome to the show. Uh, Great. Thanks for having me. It's great to have you on. I'd love to speak with retailers. We've had a lot on the show in the past, and I wanted to dive in with your background as a retailer and an entrepreneur. Many listeners likely know you as the Charlie of Charming Charlie, but is it true that you launched Charming Charlie as sort of a side hustle? I wouldn't say it's a side hustle, but I'll give you a bit of the background and, and story to it. I've always enjoyed business and entrepreneurship as a kid and really just watching my parents. My parents came to America 45 years ago for college, ended up staying afterwards and becoming entrepreneurs, started several different businesses. And I observed and watched them in their business growing up. And it was just really fun. I learned a lot from them. I learned hustle, as you just said. I learned drive, commitment as a great example for me to follow. And I think of that often. So I don't know if it was a side hustle, but it was definitely all-encompassing hustle all the time. And yes, so I saw an opportunity to create value, not only in real estate, but also in building a retail brand. So what that means, the idea originally was to build shopping centers that I would anchor and own with Charming Charlie and also the retail stores. And that was around 15 years ago. We did that for the first five shopping centers where I built them ground up and put the stores in them. And it was really exciting, but recognized the opportunity was to scale really quickly. And so focused on building out Charm and Charlie, did less of the real estate. And as you just mentioned, we scaled it to 360 stores globally for the brand. That's amazing. And what would you say is the most challenging but rewarding part of opening stores? I mean, because to get to 350 is quite the feat. That's a lot. Yeah. So Charm and Charlie is opening 50 of them this year across the United States. And we still do that activity. I think seeing customers come in and look, touch, play with the product and the smiles on their face is really rewarding. It's just, it's a good time, right? And so I'm sure we'll get into this later, but the evolving world of consumer, consumer trends and retail, I think we've seen the change of or the rise of e-com shopping. But, you know, there's still 100% a need for stores. You might not need a thousand stores, but stores are definitely ways of activating your brand and your business. And as an exec in this space, what would you say when the conversation comes up about small format versus large format? Because we hear a lot of both sides of that argument. I know Dick Sporting Goods just announced one of its largest stores ever that it's opening, but there's a lot that are moving to smaller format. Yeah. I mean, I think it's situational, right? So, there's no perfect answer for the business or brand. I don't know the context of what Dick's doing with the big stores, but I would imagine these are going to be the expirational stores where you have basketball courts and all sorts of different things they can do to activate their brands and product. They're probably not going to do all of them that big, I would assume, but they're going to have flagships that way, which I think makes sense today, right? Because people will walk in 
into the physical stores, look on their phones, look at different products. It makes it a real omni-channel 360 experience for the consumer. Keyword omni-channel, we're hearing that come up a lot more full circle and post-pandemic or as we're coming out a little bit from the pandemic as people get vaccinated, at least on this side of the pond. I know other regions in Europe are a bit behind still, but is there something that you would say was the biggest takeaway from the pandemic for Charming Charlie? Do you feel like people will come back to stores relatively soon over the summer? I think one of the key themes is overall in business, we learned that you have to be much more agile and quick and be flexible. I don't think anyone could have predicted, obviously, the pandemic and how that has changed the world. People would have predicted that five years of consumer shopping from e-commerce growth all happened in four months. And you pull that forward. That's extreme change. and I think everyone's still just trying to understand how that all comes together. But if you think about 2020 e-commerce sales, we're at 800 billion. You know, this year, we could be the first year we're at a trillion dollars of e-commerce sales. I mean, a trillion dollars. It's quite incredible, wow. right? The, numbering, the numbers and the evolution uh, is staggering. It's an exciting time to be in consumer. And where the consumers are shopping, they're just evolving places. Obviously, mobile first and e-com and different areas all rising, right? And so being in front of the consumers is obviously going to be helpful. So Charming Charlie, it's been a crazy year. You're opening, I think you said 50 stores this year. So there's a lot ahead, but this isn't the only focus for you. I would say you have this other company, your latest entrepreneurial endeavor, which is doing extremely well called Boosted Commerce. The Rethink Retail team took a look. You raised $137 million during the pandemic from some of The biggest names in tech, we have Zillow's co-founder, Spencer Raskoff and Ellie Seidman, and we all know her as the former CEO of Tinder. Can you dive into a little bit about how you founded Boosted Commerce and the companies and the services you're offering for brands and retailers? My co-founder, Keith Richmond, and I are friends from a leadership organization called YPO. It's basically presidents or CEOs running companies, and you join your local chapter We've been friends for eight, nine years. And his previous business is were in tech and performance marketing and marketing related. And you know my background in e-commerce, in operations, supply chain, people organization, fast scale, et cetera. Those two backgrounds, if you will, we thought made a lot of sense. They complement each other well and could build a business. And how did that start? He asked me to lunch just one of these catch-up lunches. And he was tinkering around the idea, talking about e-commerce trends and the future of tech and consumer trends and how all this comes together. He was super excited. That lunch eventually over months of discussion became Boosted Commerce. And here we are today. Do you think it happened super organically or did he invite you to lunch, but it was really kind of a, a subtle pitch? It wasn't really a pitch. He travels a lot, taking different supplements and I'd call it immunity boosters, health and wellness. He was researching for all these different products. And obviously, Amazon would come up a lot. And Mm -hmm. as he explored further into it, it's like, wow, who are these sellers on Amazon? How do they start these businesses? And so it's quite amazing what the platform has powered for entrepreneurs, frankly. He was the person that dug in first, didn't have much retail experience, but tech and marketing and said, wow, this is a particularly interesting space. Look at how we could do all these different things. And it's growing quickly. He dug in deeper. And then that's how we came together and talked about 
strategies, things we would do. And then here we are today. And how did you know that it was an opportunity that was needed in the market? Did you talk to some of the bigger Amazon sellers that are doing a large amount of FBA? Or how did that come about? Because it sounds like a perfect transition. You know, you've grown it to X amount. Now Boosted Commerce will step in and take it from here. And it's a win-win for everyone. But did you know that that was something people were looking for? Yeah. So the space is developed in the last, let's call it three years or two years a lot, but there's a whole community of brokers and sellers and podcasts for these sellers, right? And so that's how that came about. And I think one of the key themes is I've also invested in a cross of direct consumer brands from startup stage, just as a passive investor. And mm-hmm. one of the things that I've recognized through the years is it's not as easy to scale up from the beginning and the risk profiles of it is higher. And why is that? Because you have to bring consumers to your storefront, which means you have to market really well on Facebook or Google or whichever channel you're doing. One of the interesting things of what Amazon has done, they bring you the customers. Well, they bring you their customers to be specific, but they've made the world of every kind of value proposition for a consumer super easy to shop. I'm sure your year-over-year build in Amazon boxes is higher than a year or two years ago. It keeps on growing. And why is that? This goes back to a fundamental good retail and good brand building is they give pretty unrivaled value to the consumers. Everybody's used to two-day shipping now. Yeah, if it's more than two days, forget it. Right. (laughs) Two-day shipping, great prices. Why not? Then you saw the birth of the third-party sellers. And today, there's 50,000 sellers doing, from what we're reading, a million dollars or more. That's a large set of entrepreneurs out there. It's a fascinating space. And it keeps on evolving. It really is because it's not only Amazon, right? We have Alibaba, we have Taobao. Yeah, you have Alibaba, you have Taobao, you have Lazada, you have Flipkart. Mm-hmm. That's why in our lens here, we talk about Boost Commerce is the consumer products platform, e-commerce of tomorrow in a way. Because over time, if you have X amount of brands on your platform, you can put them obviously in different channels. There's retail channels, there's other platform channels. There's the digital shelf is going to keep expanding. And so as long as you have a great, I'd call it product catalog, you can distribute your brands and products in different areas. That's how we kind of think about the space overall over time. Mm -hmm. And you said as long as you have the great product catalog, you can keep expanding. And if we took a look at the numbers just for U.S., Amazon sellers are expected to surpass half of the e-commerce market by the end of this year. So that's a big uptick. And we also note that Walmart is in this equation as well. They do have a competitive marketplace that's on the rise. What do you think about that? I mean, do you think there'll be some collaboration potentially between the sellers on all of these platforms? What's frankly amazing of what's going on in consumer and e-commerce is Walmart used to be the biggest company in the world. Now, Amazon pre-COVID was like an $800 billion, I mean, these numbers are staggering, $800 billion market cap business. Today, I looked it up before we talked, just to get a sense, wow. $1.7 trillion. You know, it's hard for people to conceptualize what a trillion is, right? It's huge. <laughs> and it's just to put it in perspective, that's more than a lot of the GDP of countries put together, right? In one market cap of a company. I mean, it's just staggering numbers. And obviously... Walmart is also very large. And between the two of them, in terms of market share, I believe Walmart is like 70 billion now in e-commerce. And so between the two of them, they're over 55 or 60% of the market of e-commerce. They have a large share of the marketplace, if you will. Does Walmart have different, I'd say, positive value attributes? Absolutely. They have their 
I don't know what it's like 5,000 stores that they can learn that have a brick and mortar infrastructure, they can help them have an advantage. How does this all play out? There's definitely room for more than two players for sure. And they have the capital and they have the resources to compete. I do think it'll be a rising tide for both of them, though, actually. Well, what do you think? This is um, something just personally I'm interested in about the idea of curated marketplaces versus something like Walmart and Amazon, where it's pretty much fair game for any product out there. Do you think that's on the rise? I mean, with Shopify, especially? Yeah, what's amazing also, I mean, there's so many elements of things that have evolved so quickly. But if you think about one of the largest furniture companies in the world is Wayfair. And Wayfair doesn't actually own much furniture as a marketplace. You think about Neiman Marcus, and you, then you think about Real Real. Well, Real Real is a luxury reseller and does not hold any inventory. So these specialty platforms are growing and scaling. If they have enough users and sellers, they can grow and scale. Chewy's obviously for pet has grown nicely. Really cool. Shout out to Chewy for the great work they're doing. And we'll probably see more across other markets. I wanted to ask you, Charlie, if I am an Amazon seller doing over a million or plus, how would I get involved with boosted commerce? And what would that look like? If you decide that you've grown your business, you know, Julia starts a company and it's growing nicely and doing a million dollars or $2 million now. And we see that as, wow, the universe there mostly is, I'd call it solo entrepreneurs that have really worked really hard and grown their business and done everything from figuring out the right products to sell, figuring out the right marketing to do, finding the right vendor, making sure the quality is correct and scaling their business. And they get to you know a million dollars, two million dollars, and the business gets a little more difficult, right? In a sense of now you have to get more money to go buy more inventory. The more you grow, you know, the more cash you need to go buy more inventory. You to, at times you're importing it from China. You have to get through freight forwarders, the tariffs, so all these things. It becomes at times a bit more complicated, right? And so you might say, hey, look, I built this up. I'm a successful entrepreneur. This has worked really well, and I want to bring in a partner or sell my business. You can just go to Boosted Commerce's website and submit your business and someone on the team will call and respond. Great. So it sounds like you are definitely an option. You said it's a lot of times solo entrepreneurs where they've reached a point maybe where it's time to sell in order for their business to continue scaling with a large team. Yeah. It's amazing, again, what Amazon and Shopify has enabled and it's the marketization of product development in a way. So you have all these people creating products out there and finding the hustle, finding which one works, finding why. By the way, you know you hear about all the ones that do well, and this is just the same with and kind of any startup, right? It's probably a lot more fail, right, that you don't hear about. I wouldn't say fail, learn, right? And they get up and do it again. Because it's not easy, obviously, but the sheer volume of people coming onto these platforms is enormous. You hear the stories of the ones that found the right product and did the things they need to do to grow business than they have, which is remarkable. Indeed, it is remarkable. And the growth, as you said, is driven by a lot of these solo entrepreneurs that sometimes fail or learn and then try again. You know, you've built an amazing company, Charming Charlie. So from the retail side of things, do you think that's helped a lot? I know you mentioned your co-founder comes a lot from the tech space. So combining your e-commerce and retail expertise with his, is that the gold standard for this? I don't know if it's gold standard. We're all prisoners of our past, but we learn from our past and we learn from our mistakes and we learn from our wins. I think one of the key themes is that you build a continuous learning organization that things can come well. 
because as any business that starts up, there's a lot of things that are unpredictable and you have to be super agile to go fix or edit or the whole litany of things that happen. With that really comes around like growing a team and building a team that can go help execute the vision for the company. And not only that, but you are soon announcing your seller's circle. So it's not like a transaction. You say, all right, thanks, bye. It's something where they're continued to be within the boosted commerce ecosystem and and sort of a part of things if they want to be. And it sounds really cool what you guys are, are offering in the seller's circle. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? Yeah, sure. After you sell a business, and we've been on the other side of this, both my co-founder and I before, afterwards, you think about what to do next or what are other things. Because entrepreneurs generally, from my experience, are not, hey, one time and done. Entrepreneurs are entrepreneurs. They love it. Yes, it can be rewarding. Yes, it can be difficult. But I think a common theme that you see is that these entrepreneurs are curious. They want to learn. And it's all about constant self-development, right? And so one of the things we wanted to do is bring in some of our peers that we view from all captains of industry, if you will. We have investors in our business. It's Tom Staggs, who's the former CEO of Disney that does a webinar with us. Or if it's Spencer, I think you mentioned, the co-founder of Zillow. You know, They come from different industries and different startups, different size companies. But there's always lessons learned from business in general. And we think our sellers, as we've talked to them at least, value some of the things that they can continue with their career development and continue with their learning. There's some of the aspects of that that we're working on that I think that they will enjoy. I love that. And it's great that you're able to offer that to the retailers you work with, because some of the names I know in the press release, there was president of the LA Dodgers, you might bring him in and it's just people you wouldn't have access to otherwise who are experts and, and might be able to provide another perspective. So I think that is amazing. And I wanted to ask you a bit of a broader question. If we take a bird's eye view, what do you think e-commerce and digital real estate, we could even call it, will look like in 2025, a few few years from now? If I knew, um, wow. But you know, I can take a <laughs> guess. You know, it's interesting. It's like COVID really pulled up years of online shopping or e-commerce up, right? So I think about my mom, my aunts, well, before they would ask me to buy them stuff online. Now it's everybody had to be trained quickly. So what does that mean? 2025, while it feels like it's far away, it's just a few years out. And it seems like to me, at least, with the mobile phones and how quickly they're progressing with improving technology, that consumers will be able to buy anywhere they shop try on products with augmented reality before buying, engineering virtual sessions of retail shopping experiences, click a button, right? It shows up to their house. I've demoed or seen some version of these. It hasn't proliferated yet, but I assume when these things start going, you'll start seeing some of these things. And I do think that omni-channel will be fully adopted across retail companies. It's really a must-have. And how do you interplay your physical store venues and make them an asset and not a liability? And you absolutely can do that. And then thirdly, digital native brands, it's interesting. Like I think you asked me that question before. I think they'll continue to grow and steal market share from existing retail giants. And Walmart, Amazon, these platforms will continue to scale. Wherever you are in a sense of for your phone, your tablet, it seems a bit spooky sometimes where if I click on something online, it shows up on my computer, then it shows up on my phone because everything's <laughs> being tracked much more. <laughs> but the ease and frictionless shopping will continue, right? And real estate 
digital real estate is obviously used to be much more on your laptop and now it's much, much more on your phone. And I think people have seen that shift over time and you see it in e-commerce trends of your traffic from desktop, laptop to iPad to phone. And that shift to your phone has continued to take even more share of the digital real estate. It certainly has. Yeah, the stats, I just looked them up yesterday and Mobile has overtaken desktop for the main channel people are purchasing e-commerce. I think it was like 56% or something, which doesn't sound shocking because we're like, yeah, we're all on our phones all the time. We know that. But if you look just five years ago, it was the inverse. Yeah, no, for sure. And you think about your phone today, the processing speed of your iPhone 12 or Samsung Galaxy is faster than computer eight years ago. And so that's why if we're going to sit around trying to shop online with our phones eight years ago, it's just it just was not as the ease just wasn't there. And if you could imagine, you asked me the question in 2025, I can only imagine how much faster all the processing becomes. And it's just much more frictionless, right? So it's almost like buy from anywhere. And that's also with like live shopping on Instagram or Facebook or any of these platforms now that they just make it easier and easier. Absolutely. And you mentioned a few things you said, the innovative retail models that you mentioned, and then stores as assets, not liabilities, omnichannel, mobile. The growth of digitally native brands will continue. And then we were even touching on some of the crazy advancements in technology over the past eight years. And it kind of reminded me of, did you guys see the viral video the other day? It was about Elon Musk's Neuralink. They had the monkey with the chip in his brain playing Pong. <laughs> I, I didn't, but it sounds like you should email me the link afterwards. I will. I'll send it to you. It's crazy. I mean, it's for a good goal, right? Like it's to help people who are amputees be able to move with their mind through the chip, the computer chip, but it's kind of creepy. I have two last questions for you, Charlie. One, and you touched on this a little bit, you said curiosity, but what is something you would say makes a, a successful entrepreneur? I'd say number one, this is super important for people that we look for to hire equality on our leadership teams is number one, it's a growth mindset. I, I think two sayings that really resonate with me that I always remember about growth mindset. The saying is win or learn. Win or learn. And I think most people say, hey, you win or you lose. So I guess in my career as an entrepreneur, I've had hundreds and hundreds of lessons under my belt. So what I'm saying there is I'll learn more from my mistakes than I have from my wins. Mm -hmm. And all those learnings help you in your future endeavors. You're growing, you're learning, you're improving all the time. That's for growth mindset. And I think another thing, another thing we like to say also is play to win. And what I mean by that is when you look at successful growing companies or growing companies, period, they do mostly play to win and they're playing offense. Some people have, I wouldn't say a different mindset, but slightly different lens to it. And I call that playing not to lose. Those are subtle adjustments, but they're very different in mindset. And so for us, growing mindset and for entrepreneurs, we always want to play to win, right? And an easy way to make an example about that is in sports. You see if the sports team is up 20 points in the Super Bowl in the fourth quarter, the other team will play not to lose and play defense, right? Nothing wrong with that, but just you can imagine offense. You got to be moving forward, especially for entrepreneurship, right? Because nothing just comes to you. You got to go get it. Definitely. Win or learn and play to win. Those are the two. And what strikes me about how you just described both of those concepts is that it's all about, in a way, perspective how you're viewing things, because a lot of people hit the wall and, and they don't get up again. They say, well, I tried. But like you said, you've had hundreds of lessons, learning lessons, and you just keep going. I think one of the questions you asked me, I love the word hustle, actually. You said that the business start from the side hustle. As an entrepreneur, it's very different, I guess. And there's nothing wrong with 
working in a big organization either. That, that's also great opportunity set. It's, I, I think that just some elements that you have as an entrepreneur, you got to go after it. You have to have a can-do attitude, right? You have to have curiosity, ask questions, lots of them. Things won't just come, right? So if you, quote unquote, in earmarks, so-called fail, I call it learn, like we just said, get up and go again, right? Like you have to acknowledge that 90% of startups don't make it. So if your first one doesn't make it, you can go on to your second one. And so, you know, you need perseverance, you need hustle, growth mindset. Those things can really kind of help you propel because it's at times it's not the easiest part of the journey, right? There's not wins all the time. Amen to that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And how you reflect. And I, I think entrepreneurs will identify with that, right? Because, you know, you can reflect on that. And I, as we talk to these sellers at Boosted Commerce that we're acquiring, we really approach it like, wow, look what you have built. No, that's just amazing. And how can we help boost your business even further? All right. That's our lens. Very good lens to approach it from. And like you said, I think it will ring true with a lot of entrepreneurs who are listening to the show. And I like to wrap up sometimes with kind of an offbeat question. Speaking of getting down and coming back up again, there's a brand. So I looked up what are the top selling items on Amazon this week. And I guess not surprisingly, in the clothing, shoes and jewelry section, the number two item, it's a shoe. Can you guess what shoe it is? It's a very highly identifiable shoe. They weren't cool for a long time, and now they're cool again. Ah, was it? Uh, uh, it's either what is it, Crocs or? Yes, it's Crocs. It's Crocs. You got it. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. I thought that was interesting. Gosh, I've I've seen Crocs everywhere recently, and it's just kind of funny that it's on there. So good job. Yeah, I know. I just completely guessed, but I know this because you know I have a my son's turning four, and we boarded. Well, he has a few pairs now. So, you know, I remember oh, 10 years ago. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, he's got some swag, some Croc swag. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's amazing. Thank you, Charlie, for coming on the show. I hope to have you again in the future. You've been listening to Rethink Retail. For all the latest news on commerce and trends, join the discussion. Rethink.industries 